What is going on, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and welcome to the first Messed Up Origins episode of 2023. It's a brand new year, which means there's no better time than now to get a fresh start. The only catch is, before I can start fresh, I've got to finish something I started last year. You see, a few weeks ago, I dove deep into the messed up origins of the Swan Princess, Barbie of Swan Lake, and the Black Swan, and I broke down in detail how each of their plots were inspired by the world-famous Swan Lake Ballet. As deep of a dive as that was, though, we only made it about halfway down the rabbit hole. I may have shown you how particular moments and elements of these films' plots were inspired by the ballet, but what I failed to answer was where did the ballet story come from? And the reason I failed to answer is because it's complicated. We know the music was composed by Pyotr Tchaikovsky, so it's likely that he had some influence over the plot, but we'll never know who first proposed the idea for the story or who wrote the original libretto. For my fellow ballet novices, the libretto was the accompanying booklet where the ballet story was spelled out for the audience so they could actually tell what was going on. Most people assume the plot came from a fairy tale, but which fairy tale features a spoiled prince who falls in love with a cursed swan maiden who yeets herself off a cliff and inspires him to yeet himself off a cliff? Well, after weeks of research conducted by myself and the Messed Up Origins team, I can confidently tell you, none of them. That being said, stories about swan maidens have been found all over the world, and while they don't all mirror the ballet's plot perfectly, they have enough in common to make you wonder if there's a connection. So in this episode, I'm going to share some of the stories that experts think may have influenced Swan Lake, analyze the tragic lives that swan maidens tend to live in these tales, and discuss the surprising differences that occur when men are turned into swans instead of women. Can you see why this was too complicated for part one? Chapter one. Inspiration. One of the most popular theories regarding the origins of Swan Lake link it to a German fairy tale called the Stolen Veil. Before I get into that though, you should know that the original 1877 Swan Lake Ballet was very different than the one that's performed today. Originally, Odette was the daughter of a good fairy and a knight in shining armor, and instead of her and her friends being cursed by von Rothbart, they were cursed by her stepmother, who's an evil sorceress that wants to kill her. In this version, von Rothbart's reduced to being the stepmother's sidekick. Odette is protected from her stepmother's magic thanks to a magical crown that her grandfather gave her, a detail that Barbie of Swan Lake even managed to incorporate, and the only way to break the curse is a vow of marriage. Prince Siegfried goes on to meet Odette by the Enchanted Lake, falls in love with her in a span of about four and a half minutes, and tells her to come to the ball his mother is hosting tomorrow so he can make his vow of marriage. But the demon, von Rothbart, tricks the prince into swearing himself to the wrong woman by disguising his own daughter to look like Odette. Unlike the later versions, Odette doesn't forgive Siegfried for his betrayal and dies of grief in his arms. The heartbroken prince then throws the dead Odette's crown into the lake and sits there holding her body while the lake's water engulfs them both. Yeah, I thought the version I shared with you guys in part one was pretty dark, but this one is straight up depressing. I really wish I knew about it a few weeks ago so I could have included it in part one, but I've seen so many different performances of this damn ballet labeled as the original that I guess I just got confused. It's a bit embarrassing, honestly, but the good news is that the following theory was suggested by someone a lot smarter than me. 
Soviet historian Yuri Slonimsky claimed the libretto was inspired by the German fairy tale The Stolen Veil written by Johann Karl August Musaeus about a hundred years before the ballet. It follows a soldier named Friedbert and a hermit named Benno, whose names are oddly similar to Prince Siegfried and his friend Benno, as they fall in love with not one, but two swan maidens who transform into humans at night. These swan maidens wear veils, similar to how Odette wears a crown, they live on a body of water called Swan Pond, and at one point the maiden leaves Friedbert after discovering he betrayed her just like how originally Odette refused to forgive Siegfried for his betrayal. Only in this story, that betrayal did not entail pledging himself to her doppelganger. Instead, he stole and hid her magical veil that gave her the power to turn to a swan. Hence the name of the story. It's clearly not an exact match to Swan Lake's plot, which is why experts remain pretty skeptical about its influence, but there's enough overlap that you can't help wondering if whoever wrote the libretto took some inspiration from it. This isn't the only possibility though. Another candidate, and my personal favorite, is a story from the Volsunga Saga, which details the tragic life of the Valkyrie Brunhild. Written in the 13th century, more than 500 years before the Stolen Veil, the Volsunga Saga tells of how King Agnar stole Brynhild's magical swan shirt and forced her to swear an oath of loyalty to him, similar to how Friedbert stole the swan maiden's veil. Brynhild's oath forces her to intervene on Agnar's behalf during a battle, despite Odin's desire for Agnar to lose, and as punishment, Odin sticks her with a sleep thorn and surrounds her with a wall of fire. Then, as she falls asleep, she vows to only awaken to marry a man who's brave enough to leap through the flames. The hero named Sigurd goes on to take this leap not once, but twice. Only the second time, he's disguised as his friend Gunnar, so Brunhild is tricked into marrying Gunnar instead. Once again, we have the inclusion of a doppelganger that ruins the Swan Maiden's chances for true love and happiness, only instead of her lover being fooled, it was the Maiden herself. Though, now that I think about it, Sigurd does have his memory of meeting Brunhild erased after drinking a potion, which is why he's willing to jump through the fire on Gunnar's behalf that second time. So I guess both parties were duped. Also, instead of her responding to that realization by throwing herself off a cliff like Odette did, Brunhild gets even with her deceiver and has Sigurd killed, only to immediately regret it and throw herself on his funeral pyre so they can be together in the afterlife. Are you seeing all the similarities? There's the cursed swan maiden, the doppelganger, the tragic ending. It's not surprising that people think it may have influenced the ballet's story or at least influence the work that would later influence the ballet story. You see, there's another popular theory that Swan Lake was inspired by the works of German composer Richard Wagner. And we know for a fact that Wagner based his productions on the Volsunga saga, which contains Brunhild's story. So it's very possible that the libretto's author indirectly based the Swan Maiden on the most famous Valkyrie in all of Norse mythology, without even realizing it. Which is even cooler when you consider that the Volsunga saga is supposedly a mythologized account of real historical events. As I mentioned earlier though, there are tons of other stories about swan maidens. These are the two that are most commonly linked to Swan Lake, but when you hear variants from other countries and time periods, you can't help noticing they have a lot in common. Chapter two, the Swan Maiden. Over the course of humanity's history, we've created and shared thousands of stories with each other. Valuable stories meant to entertain, educate, and enlighten. 
As our world has become more advanced and connected, these stories have gone from being passed on orally to being collected and reprinted in books, and nowadays, many are preserved online. But with thousands of stories being collected from every corner of the world, how do folklore scholars keep the collection organized? The answer is the Arne Thompson Uther Tale Type Index. That's the official system used to categorize folktales based on the archetypes and motifs they have in common. For example, Hansel and Gretel are considered 327A, the Children and the Witch, Chicken Little is 20C, the End of the World, and Bluebeard is type 312, women whose brothers rescue them from their ruthless husbands or abductors. Obviously, these categories can get pretty specific. The stories you heard last section would be classified under ATU 400 and labeled the Swan Maiden along with dozens of tales from other countries and cultures. Only here's the deal, while the details of those stories can vary from version to version, their overall structures are nearly identical. For example, the first act almost always includes the hero discovering a secluded body of water with a bunch of girls bathing in it and then finding their swan skins on the shore, which show him that these maidens are anamorphs. Sometimes the hero is a widowed hunter who's guided by an old hermit, like in the German story, The Three Swans, but other times he's a young hunter who almost shoots one of the swans before seeing them transform into beautiful ladies. This is the case in the Swedish fairy tale simply called the Swan Maiden, and a similar interaction happens between Odette and Siegfried in most versions of the Swan Lake Ballet, as well as the animated films based on it. The hero then steals one of the swan coverings and refuses to give it back to the maiden unless she marries him and from there, the story can go in one of two directions. In direction one, she agrees to the marriage, but the hero has to survive three challenges that are set by her father, who can sometimes be a dragon, a king, a sorcerer, or a god. In direction two, the hero actually hides her swan skin so his love is trapped in her human form. Then one day, when he's out of the house, she discovers her old wings and flies away. After she disappears, most stories go into detail about the husband's difficult journey and bringing her back, which usually entails sailing to a distant and dangerous land, along with some personal development. But in others, like the Swedish variant, the husband just gets really depressed after his wife escapes, and he dies of sadness. It's a pretty sad ending, until you remember that this guy forced the maiden into being his wife for years before she got away. As you may have gathered, the forced relationship is a pretty common theme in these fairy tales. There's even a specific variant from the 1001 Nights collection called Hassan of Basra that goes into detail about the depression and loneliness Hassan's swan maiden wife feels after years of marriage to him, which makes it pretty difficult to root for the guy when he goes on his journey to bring her back home. Chapter 3. The Male Swans What's really interesting, though, is that while the Swan Maiden stories tend to involve some kind of tragedy, whether it be a forced marriage, a death, or total abandonment, there are a few fairy tales about men who are turned into swans, and they're very different. One such story was included in a collection the Grimm brothers published back in 1812. It's called The Six Swans, and in it, six brothers are cursed by their evil stepmother and turned into swans. Then, their sister has to spend the next six years knitting them new shirts out of nettles, a kind of leaf or plant or something. But that's not all. To make the situation even more stressful, she can't speak a word the entire time, which almost gets her burned at the stake when people suspect her of witchcraft. 
The Danish author Hans Christian Andersen adapted this story a few decades later and called it The Wild Swans, but it's pretty much the same as the Grimm Brothers version, with a sister rescuing her brothers from their feathery prisons. The point I'm trying to make is that depending on the gender of the affected, the swan maiden form can be a gift or a curse. In all the swan maiden stories we covered today, it appears to be a gift because the women turned into swans voluntarily and then were trapped in their human form after men stole their wings. Meanwhile, the stories about male swans portrayed the men as trapped in their bestial state and needing a woman's love and devotion to transcend it. To put it another way, the tales about swan maidens have them running from men, while the tales about male swans have them running to women. Tchaikovsky Swan Lake was the first telling to flip this around, where the maiden is trapped in the body of a swan and needs a man's love to be free. If I'm being perfectly honest though, I think that imprisonment theme transcends the swan archetype, at least when we're talking about men. Because whether it's the wild swans, the frog prince, or Beauty and the Beast, fellas are always being rescued from their animal forms by pretty ladies. There's obviously stories where men rescue women from horrible fates like Cinderella, Snow White, and Sleeping Beauty, but there's something about the swan form that seems to be preferable for female characters specifically. This may have something to do with what swans symbolize. These lovebirds have been around for thousands of years and are known to mate for life so religions and cultures all around the world think of them as emblems of love, devotion, and romance. Hence their association with the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite. Swans also symbolize virginal and spiritual purity, qualities that men have prized in women since the earliest days of humankind. I think that's why, in many Swan Maiden stories, the men have to pass trials in order to secure their ladies' hands in marriage trials that are often assigned by the would-be bride's fathers. Because true swan maidens don't just settle for anyone. Their love has to be earned, and that could require anything from slaying the dragon that guards their prison to suffering through an entire Taylor Swift concert. I know which serpent I'd rather deal with, but what do you think, mere mortals? Do you have any thoughts on Swan Maiden stories you'd like to share? Maybe a fairy tale I didn't mention, or your own analysis about the significance of these kinds of stories? Let me know in a comment down below. Or if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, reach out to us on social media. You can find us under the handle at Messed Up Origins on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow the links in our description. To those listening to our podcast, our upload schedule is undergoing some changes. You can still explain expect remastered episodes every Monday and Wednesday for the time being, but my all-new Friday episodes are shifting to every other week while I take some time to experiment with short-form content, which I don't think would fit the podcast format very well. Don't let that bum me out too hard, though, because I truly think that by taking two weeks to work on each Messed Up Origins episode instead of one, the quality of the final product is going to be better than it ever has been. Your support in this experimental phase means the absolute world to me, and I'll do everything I can to not let you down like I've let down my family, friends, pets, neighbors, and pizza delivery guys. Until next time, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.